Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship gathering at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Please sit back and enjoy our teaching time now with lead pastor, John Buckley. You'll take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We started last Sunday on the first part of a two-part message that I entitled Saul's Slippery Slope. If you remember, I gave you my illustration of my dad and our slip and slide, which to this day will always be indelibly imprinted in my mind as he went slipping down there thinking he could stand on Don dishwashing liquid on a, uh, a slick surface. Saul is an interesting character, and uh, as we've gone uh, through our study here in 1 Samuel, we've started with Samuel, a man who had heard from God. And he's still on the scene, we're going to see him here, but the focal point changed as the Israelite nation said, we want a king like every other nation has. We want to be like they are. And that led us into the reign now of Saul, who was the king who is the king of Israel. And there's a few things I think we need to know, and the reason we kind of subtitled this Saul, a man who ran from God, is because you see that track record on an ongoing basis. And I think today is going to be really revealing of what we started last week when we talked about Saul in relationship to repentance. Saul and Samuel handled things completely different. Saul and David handled things completely different. See, because first of all, you're going to realize that Saul felt he was the exception. He blamed others, and he made excuses. Saul felt he was the exception. He blamed others, and he made excuses. That's been his track record. We saw that in 1 Samuel 13, when he was supposed to wait and have Samuel come and give the sacrifice. You see that once again, when he decided to take God's directives, which were very clear on what he should do. He made exceptions, he blamed others, and he made excuses. But you'll see Samuel, Samuel focused on being used by God, speaking truth and staying faithful. Samuel focused on being used by God, speaking truth, and staying faithful. Now, think of that in relationship to the life that you live. When people hear your name, if we flashed up on the screen, the thoughts that came to their mind, the adjectives that would be used, would they flash up that you're a person who, like in Saul's case, is somebody who likes to think they're the exception, who likes to blame others, who likes to make excuses? Are they going to see a a Samuel here who focused on being used by God. Samuel wasn't perfect, but you know, day by day, he wanted God to use him. He spoke truth. Now again, it's easy for us to say, well, yeah, go get him, Samuel. I mean, you're the man of God, but remember, Saul could have had him killed very easily, and that happened in other instances as you go forward in the Old Testament where there were men who lost their life for speaking truth. And then the other thing, which I think is something that we need to cherish greater than ever before in the culture that we live in, because we have a culture that doesn't have a lot of tenacity as a whole. But you see Samuel, he stayed faithful. He just kept at it, and kept at it, and kept at it, and kept at it. And last week we talked about what repentance is. I've done ministry a long time. I've had a lot of people sit in my office and have weeped over their sin, been broken over what they did. But there's a difference between being broken and being repentant. Brokenness plus change is what equals repentance. 
It's very important that you get that. Brokenness plus change equals repentance. We can be very feel sorry, feel bad about what we've done to somebody. We can be broken over that. But if change doesn't happen, then repentance really isn't there. Because the word repentance is that turning from, turning away from. And folks, I feel too often, and I know this has slipped into my life as well, where I'm broken about something, but I'm not willing to change. And you know what I do? I pop up into the whole Saul thing. Well, I make an exception. Well, Lord, you know, I'd like to change, but if you would just change my wife or my kids or my job or my whatever it is, I blame others. I make excuses. And rather, instead of saying, God, not only break me, but change me, because I really want to have true repentance. If you don't get anything else from today's message, make sure you get that definition there and really evaluate your heart. See, because there's a difference. I'm sorry retains control and gives the opportunity for blame. Oh, I'm sorry, and frequently, I'm sorry is followed by this three-letter adjective called what? But. Oh, man, see, you guys might have actually done this before, huh? I'm sorry, but, see, when I say I'm sorry, I retain control, and I give an opportunity to blame somebody else. I'm sorry, but, you know, and if, and they, and so on. But I was wrong, gives up control, and removes the opportunity for blame. It's hard to go, I was wrong, but, because you're wrong. It takes that responsibility, and it gives up control, and it usually is followed by, I was wrong, please forgive me, or what do I need to do in order to make this right? So that's all the things that we kind of talked about last week as we kind of started to unveil what happened here, because Saul went and he partially obeyed God. He knocked off part of the nation. He conquered part of the land. He followed to a point, but he ended. And as a result of his response, we know in verse 23, we'll read that as we kind of get into things, chapter 15 and verse 23 says this, well, we'll start in verse 22. And Samuel said, As the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, 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 to obey, to obey is better than sacrifice, and listen than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice, and listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of division, divination, excuse me, or witchcraft, and presumption is iniquity is as iniquity and idolatry, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Saul hears news he didn't want to hear. He thought he was in this. He thought, hey, my son Jonathan is going to be the king after me. And we all know when we look at the, 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 the Bible, Jonathan already seemed to have more character than his dad did. But because of Saul, his son was going to lose that opportunity. So as we get into the text here in verse 24, we're going to start with this. Saul reveals his true heart. It's really easy to start to read this section and go, oh man, come on. And this is what we talked about before, feelings versus truth. When you hear the way that Saul felt, you're going to say, oh, don't you feel sorry for him? Isn't he really mean this? But we're really going to look at the words that he uses, folks. And I want you to pay close attention as we get into this section. Because he uses the right words, but let's start here in verse 24. So Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. 
See, you see this true heart of Saul revealed. He says, I'm sorry, uses the right words, but he tries to butter up Samuel. How do we know that? Because he doesn't just go, I've transgressed against the commandment of the Lord, and what does he say? And your words. It really didn't matter what Samuel said. It was all about what God said. So you immediately see him throwing in there, I've sinned, but you know, I haven't obeyed God, but, but you know, I haven't obeyed you either, Samuel. Tries to butter him up. He doesn't take the full blame. You don't go, I've sinned, and, and it's my fault, and I blew it. What does he say there as we continue on? Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. It's the people. You know, you know, you know, the reason I did this was because what the people did. If I, if I wouldn't listen to the people, I wouldn't be in this thing. But it, 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 you are the one that needs to take full responsibility. And not say, well, if they wouldn't have been here, if they wouldn't have done this, if they wouldn't have been part of the situation, he doesn't take the full blame. And he really neglects to seek forgiveness from God. It says in verse 25, Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return that I may bow before the Lord. Samuel didn't have the authority to pardon him of sin. See, what Samuel was, was was not God. And what Saul needed was to go before God and say, God, I sinned. I blew it. It's my fault. But you see him trying to kind of butter up Samuel, your words. You see that he still has to throw in, but you know, it's still the people. And you see that he doesn't even ask forgiveness of God. He says to Samuel, would you forgive me in this situation? He goes, I want you to give me that forgiveness. And, and if we look at our own hearts, it's amazing when we end up in a situation where we sin and we get caught versus the Spirit of God convicts. There's a difference when we get caught and when the Spirit of God convicts. Now, the Spirit of God can convict after we get caught, but when you find somebody doing something wrong and they're caught at it, you're on something you shouldn't be on the computer, you, get your, you take money that you shouldn't take, you get caught in a lie, you did different things. When you get caught, it's a lot easier to go, well, you know, I was wrong because you're caught. It's like the story I told you with my hand in the cookie jar, and as I'm spitting out cookies, I can't really say I didn't take cookies. They're there, I mean, everywhere. The evidence is evident. And in our own situations, when we get caught, it's so much easier to go, yeah, you're right. What can I do to make this right? And that's a lot of times our response. I just want to make it all better. And see, there's a difference between wanting to make it all better and making it all go away instead of going, no, wait a minute, I sinned here. And I think we have such a low view of what sin is and the way that it affects my relationship with God, the wedge it creates there, and with human beings... Instead of taking responsibility and recognizing the devastating effects of sin, we love to minimize sin because we live in a culture where you can see a lot worse sins than yours everywhere. God, make me broken over the white lies. Make me broken over the little stones. God, help me to realize that I'm a sinner that needs to constantly be coming before you as I sin and ask to be able to take responsibility for that. You see him re really give that true heart because it's not about public confession for him, it's about public recognition is what Saul really wants. So before we point our bony fingers at Saul though, let's try to look at our own hearts and ask our own selves what our view of is and our motivations. 
Are you hoping that somebody doesn't find something that you've done on your computer? Are you hoping that your spouse doesn't find out about a conversation that you had? Are you hoping your boss doesn't find out a certain thing or a friend or a family member? Or are you willing to go, no, I want to be, as the Spirit of God convicts me, help me to deal with it then, not when I get caught because of it. So the second thing we see, not only does Saul reveal his true heart, but we see Samuel repeats God's decision. Verse number 26. The Bible says this, And Samuel said to Saul, I'll not return with you, for you've rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regrets. So Saul gets done with his apology. And Samuel's response to that is, first of all, what you'll see there is that he refuses to get Saul that affirmation that he wants. I'll not return with you. Come back with me. Again, you see all about what he wants Samuel to do, that he might get that recognition. It wasn't, I'm broken. What do I need to do to make this right? It's, hey, won't you come back with me so we can prove to everybody else that everything's okay? We're good. You and me are good. That means the kingdom is good and everything's good and we're, yeah, let's just move on. I'll not return. And then he reminds Saul of God's decision. The Lord rejected you. He tore away the kingdom. And what probably happened is he had an outer cloak on that he grabbed a hold of and yanked and as he did it, he tore the bottom part of it away from it and he had a portion of it. So now he had a physical reminder I always wonder in my mind, I wonder how long did Saul keep that physical reminder? Did he throw it away immediately? Was it a constant reminder to him of what was going to happen? You just wonder sometimes. But he reminds Saul of God's decision. You chose your path, and I'm sorry, but now God has rejected you. And then he told him he was going to share the kingdom with another, going to give the kingdom, excuse me, to another. He says, I'm going to give it to your neighbor, a man better than you. I'm sure that hurt. man better than you. We all love to hear that, right? Oh, yeah, somebody better is going to get the job than you. Oh, thank you. Appreciate that. Salt in my wounds. I don't know the reason that Samuel used those words, but he wanted him to know that somebody else was taking. It's not yours. There's no turning back. Now, If Saul would have been broken, and even if God wouldn't have given him the kingdom back, think of all the amazing, wonderful things that Saul could have, with a broken and humble spirit, could have done for the kingdom. He's so worked up, though, about what he wants to retain and keep that he completely misses out the whole big picture here. It's you, Saul. It's you, Why don't you just become broken and take responsibility for this? Because I could still use you, but all along the way he keeps fighting it and wanting this and wanting this affirmation and wanting this public confirmation of who he is rather than just saying, I have sinned and really meaning it, not I'm sorry, which is basically what he said in verse 24. And then he confirmed that God wouldn't change his mind. God will not have regret. We call that immutability. He didn't change. It's taken from Micah 1.15, the glory of God. Hey, this is one of those that this is the way it is. I'm sorry, there's no turning back. Now, I don't know about you, but when I have been younger especially, and I get in trouble, there has been many times as a child that I argue with my parents about changing the, the, the punishment. 
whatever that punishment was. Taking away the car from me when I was older, when I was younger, it could be a favorite toy. One of the worst things you could ever do to me as a child was make me sit somewhere still. That was like torture. I still can't sit still. I will frequently feel my wife on my leg or on my arm because I fidget all the time. I'm a fidgeter. I move around. You've probably noticed that up here. I always tell them, you have to move those because one of these days I'll trip over one of those cords when I walk around. And a fidgeter says, when I had to sit still, John, sit in the corner. My dad used to say he'd want to see, nose, he'd want to see wall prints on my nose. I'm still not quite sure how that works on a wall. But anyways, stand in the corner. That was or Stand still. How do you stand still? My, and, you know, and you're a kid on top of it, so it's even more miserable. And as soon as you can't do something, everything itches. You know, Stand still. My nose itches. Oh, man, my head itches. You know, my arm itches. That's all it takes. Just those small little things. And, 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 and when, you, when you realize in the situation that we're at here and, and, and obedience to do that, if Saul would have just taken the responsibility and done that and, and been able to, to, to fulfill then those things that God wanted, but God had to say, I've made up my mind. Here's the punishment. Now would you just accept it? Now the times in my life when I just took a deep breath and thought, you know what, mom and dad aren't going to change their mind. I just got to do it. They're not fun, but you got to do it. I remember the first time I got a speeding ticket. I know it shocks all of you. You're surprised I would ever get a ticket of any sort. I understand. I was a teenager. I had a 72 Buick Skylark, which, by the way, can go really fast. And I was driving, and I'm sure it was my wife's, you know, she was my girlfriend at the time, because I had to go see her because she needed something, I'm sure. It sounds a lot better than I was just probably speeding. And I'm going along, and I remember, you know, and I, I'm always this way. You know, you see a police car go this way. Even if I'm not speeding, I put my foot on the brakes. I don't know why. It's just one of those things. And I remember speeding down the road, and, you know, lights behind me. I'm like, oh, great. And I knew I was speeding. It wasn't one of those where I was like a couple miles over. I was a lot of miles over. One of those straight shots, you know, good old flat Midwestern area. And I got pulled over, and I'm there, and he comes up to me. And they take forever. I mean, I apologize. I know Paul Holdefers in the state, and you probably don't take forever. But for me, it was like, it's like six hours later. It's what I felt like. And I'm there. And, of course, then you have to find these papers that I don't know where those papers are at half the time. You're supposed to show them. That's right. I own this car, I think. Maybe if I can't find it, they'll throw me in jail. I mean, all these things that run through your head when you're 17, 16 years old driving there, but then coming over, and I remember he gave me the ticket, and I wanted to argue with him. I did, but, you know, I really knew I was speeding, and I probably said something. I'm not trying to make myself sound, but I'm probably, well, you know, I was in a hurry, but then in my head, it sounded like, if I say that he's going to ask a question, I'm not going to be able to answer. Like, I was in a hurry to go to the hospital. Which hospital? Um, <clears throat> so my, my understanding that I couldn't lie well enough was going was gonna to get me even more trouble. And he gave me the ticket. I, whatever amount it was for, for as a 17-year-old, it really didn't matter. It was way more money than I thought I ever was going to make in my life, probably, at the time. And I figured, I'm fighting this in court. And, and I, I got, you know, you get with your friends, you get riled up. Yeah, and he was wrong, and he should have done that. And then the day of court comes, well, you bragged everybody now, you got to go to court. I was as guilty as could be. But I remember bravado with my friend, I'm going, I'm going to beat this thing, you know, go to court. And I sit there, and the state patrol guy's there, and he looks pretty intimidating to me. And, I'm, and then the officer gets up, and so, you know, what happened? The officer, he went over, the officer stayed, everything, as the judge gets up there, you know, what do you plead, not guilty? And they go, okay, explain. And I, I'm explaining it, and the more I'm talking, the more stupid I sound along the way. You know, I'm trying to say, make it, yeah, and I was driving fast because, you know, and you just, you know, you get yourself, you know, the whole, whole thing, you know, down there. And at the end of it, you know, okay, I'm sorry, but you're going to, and I had to pay the whole amount and get points and everything like that. And I just remember I walked out of there as much as I wanted to keep fighting. 
When, it, the, when I stepped across the threshold out of that courtroom, I remember this distinctly to this day. I remember thinking, it's over. I can't do anything else. I just got to pay it. And, and it was amazing how much of a burden was lifted that I knew I wasn't excited about paying, but you just got to take the responsibility. Drive carefully. Don't get more points. Don't get yourself in trouble. Hope the insurance company doesn't find out that you spent as much as you did. And move forward. And that was a painful check to write as a, as a teenager. But there's a, a burden lifted when we take responsibility for what we know we do wrong. You know what's really crazy? How many times we like to argue with God about what we've done wrong? Really? Well, you know God. I do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh. But to take responsibility and go, I've sinned. Folks, if we would come to that point and say, Lord, I've sinned. Do what you need to. Forgive me. That relieves that burden, and we can embrace Christ. But here's one of our biggest problems. We are so concerned that other people will do that before God and not concerned enough that we do that before God. Boy, my wife really needs to do that. My husband really needs to do that. My kids really need to do that. My boss really needs to do that. Boy, all, everybody else needs to confess their sins before God, but mine are pretty small, Lord. I'm a whole lot better than what they are. Well, then we're falling right into the Saul trap. So in the Bible, you're going to find different sections of Scripture that are just sad. They're sad. And this is a sad ending to a promising life. Saul was this Benjamite son who could have seen God do these amazing things. Came from nowhere. The small town hero story. And it didn't end up that way. And it says this in verse number 30. Then he said... Again, I've sinned. But what was the next phrase after that again, folks? Catch this. I have sinned, yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may bow before your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul bowed before the Lord. You see that Saul continues to be concerned about he is viewed by man more than how he is ruining his relationship with God. You see those couple phrases there? First of all, you'll see in verse 30, go back to that again. The first thing that sticks out is, yet honor me. I want, and then the other sad thing is this, I, this is a sad one, that I may, excuse me, and before the Lord, and return with me that I may bow before the Lord, what's that word? Your God. Saul, he's your God. He's your God, Saul. Yeah, he's Samuel's, but he's your God. But he had turned God into an adversarial situation. Folks, the devil wants you to turn God into your adversary. God has not got it out for you, folks. God does not want to stand here with a celestial thunderbolt ready to smack you down. God wants to see you have the most amazing life possible. That's why he knows how important repentance is because the freedom that it gives, not the bondage that it brings. Repentance brings freedom and frees from bondage. Frees from bondage. Bow before your God. And then we see a very graphic situation here in verse number 31. So we saw Samuel went back. I don't know if he just gave in or just figured he would... Give him this last act of kindness. But verse 32, Samuel said, Bring here me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. 
Agag said, surely the bitterness of death has passed. Hey, I'm scot-free. It's taken these guys a while. I'm probably off the hook. But no, not at all. In verse number 33, and Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Wow. Hacked. And that means hacked. He probably, he, Samuel was not a soldier. You know, it wasn't like he knew how to fight a battle. He knew how to cut up offerings, though. And Samuel had to do what Saul should have done in the first place. Don't wait for somebody else to clean up your messes. Take responsibility and do what you need to. Samuel had to finish the job that was supposed to be done by Saul. And then verse 34, and it says this, Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went to the house, his house in Gibeah of Saul. In thir verse 35, And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. Samuel didn't hate Saul. But how sad, because we see that Saul went his way and he continued to pursue Saul. Samuel went his way and continued to pursue God. And that was a horrible place for both of them to have to be. But what was Samuel's response? He grieved over Saul. You know what's sad is sometimes when other people feel worse about the choices we're making than we do. Folks, ask God to give you a grieving over your own sin. You can feel burdened about others, but start here. I beg of you, stop minimizing your sin. Stop making exceptions. Stop making excuses. Stop blaming others. Stop being just broken and have change be a part of it so you can truly be repentant. Everybody here can be a Samuel. Everybody. But everybody here can also be a Saul. Everybody. It comes down to choices. So today the choice is in front of you. You're going to leave this building, hopefully after second hour, and you're going to go out into the world and you're going to make choices. And what your choices will reveal, listen to this, your choices will reveal what's really going on in your heart. Saul's heart was revealed by his choices, as was Samuel's. Don't get on that slippery slope, folks. Don't think you're the exception. Don't think that you can excuse it. Because the big question that we have to ask ourselves when we listen to this and we stand at the edge of a new week is how will you live it? If we come here each week and we just go, oh, okay, that was good. I understand that passage better. Boy, that was really interesting the way that took place. I've never heard that story before. You know, you're right. We need to be more repentant. If that's where it stops, then we come to the edge and we're done and nothing happens to change in our life. But I encourage all of you today to say, what's one thing from this past that you can say, I will live this? For some of you, you need to go and acknowledge sin to another. For some of you, you just need to get along with God and ask him to really see the deplority of your sin the way he should. For some of you, you need to go out and you need to put some restrictions and different things of your life that you know just allow you to continue to walk into paths of sin. For some of you, you just got to take responsibility and stop worrying about what everybody else is sinning and doing and start taking responsibility for what you're doing. For some of you, you need to say, I'm taking the path of Samuel and I'm going to keep on the path of Samuel. Whatever it is, we have to choose and how we will 
live it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you, first of all, for the way that you've convicted me already in my life as I had the privilege of studying this. This is not a fun message. It's not a message of excitement. It's a message of sadness. And, and yet, Lord, it's, it's your word, and it can be used powerfully in our lives. And I know, Lord, as we sit here, that there are folks here that need to take full responsibility. They need to stop thinking of themselves as the exceptions and blaming others and making excuses. And Lord, I know there's some here that are striving hard to make you number one in all that they do. Wherever we might be, God, help us to be willing to take the microscope of your word and to look at the activities of our heart, the desires of our heart, and be willing to take steps based on what your word says. We ask this in your precious and holy name. Amen.